Today we're going to talk about what I think is probably the biggest obstacle of us getting where we want to get to spiritually. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, about different positions in our response to Jesus, that one of those positions is that we can hear the Word of God and just simply reject it and forget it. The other, which we've pointed out is quite dangerous and probably the temptation for most of us here, is we can hear the Word of God and we can make a few superficial religious changes and never get to where God wants us to get. Where God really wants us is to get to that place of that surrendered heart where finally God doesn't just have my outer actions, God has me. And I like what my brother Mark Loudermoke said to me in talking about it. He said, buddy, I, I believe that right here between chair two and chair three, that there's some kind of almost trap, that, that there's like a gully, there's like a hole that catches us. And I think that may be true. Because what Satan doesn't want to see is is for you to move from this second chair of just sort of coming to church and sort of being involved and sort of giving God your heart to a place where you finally just absolutely surrender everything to him. And I I believe that barrier, I heard it this week in a life group. I was asking a group of uh, guys, I was saying, okay, in the last week, how have you done leading the surrendered life? How's that gone? And we went around the circle and quite a few said, I've been surrendering daily. But quite a few of them, a lot of us said, you know, the truth is, I've been distracted. I I, want to surrender. I I come to church and I hear these messages and that's really where I want to be. But, But in between here, maybe we should call it a wall. And it's a wall of distraction. And, And you know what distraction is? It's what sort of when our attention is diverted to something else. We know that in a church service. If over in this corner a a baby starts crying and the mother gets up and she begins to walk around back to that back door and the baby's crying. Anybody, is your your attention diverted? Oh, absolutely. That's okay. We're glad to have babies in this church. But I do recognize that I could probably throw in a few cuss words during that time and you wouldn't hear me, all right? Because you're, you're just listening and I'm just trying to say some words while it goes on. Some of you are here a few months ago where a man came in in the middle of the message, sort of meandered around down the aisle for about four or five minutes, and finally came down right down front. Anybody remember that Sunday? I remember that Sunday, okay? I thought it was the end. And finally he just sat down there and was a great guy to get to know. But we're easily diverted, aren't we? And listen to this quotation from a man who trains a lot of people in spirituality, a friend of ours, Randy Harris. He says this, distraction is the number one detriment to our spiritual lives. There is no close second even worth considering. Did you hear that? There's not even a second worth considering. Because most of us, it's not that Satan's going to get us to dive back into a life of rebellious sin. He's just going to distract us from being who we need to be. So this week, I I looked up in the Bible. Where is this word distracted used? It's actually only used two times. It's used once in a very, very familiar story to us. And once in a passage, I promise you, I've never preached on, but it's going to make an amazing point today. The first place this word distracted, in the Greek language, it means simply this. It means to be drawn away. Is that mother and baby walk away? Your attention is drawn away. If something comes up in your life, your attention is drawn away. 
The first place is in Luke chapter 10. You probably know that story. Jesus has gone to be with some friends at the home of Mary and Martha. Uh, he, he goes to fellowship with them. Uh, Mary immediately just sits in the den talking to him. And, and listen to what the Bible says about Martha. But Martha was distracted but all the preparations that had to be made. I mean, can you imagine this? If Jesus comes to your house, I was with a group of teenagers the other day, and we are talking about difficult times at home, and they said they hated it when company was coming to their house. You know why? Because their mamas got really uptight. Can you imagine if that company were Jesus? That'd be pretty rough. So Martha, I mean, Jesus in her home, she's trying to make all the preparations. She wants it to be clean. She wants food on the table. And... and, and Martha's a little bit perturbed with Mary. You'll see in what she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Will you tell her to help me? Jesus, do you not see what's going on here? Mary's just sitting here shooting the breeze with you, and I'm cleaning up and getting the food on the table. Get her up. This is not fair. And listen to Jesus' answer. Martha, Martha. Now, you know you're in trouble anytime the Lord says your name twice, Okay. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's the contrast to today. You've got Martha, who's distracted by so many things. Mary, who has chosen the one thing that matters that's actually eternal. What has Mary chosen, my friends, that's so good here? She's chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus uninterrupted. Now, is Martha doing something evil? Is she back in the kitchen smoking dope? No. She's just absolutely distracted from spending time with Jesus. And that's the contrast of our lives, guys, is that we can be so involved in the many things. And wow, in the culture we live in, there's so many distractions. And miss out on the one thing that matters. Now go to this next scripture with me. You probably never heard this one in church. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here the apostle Paul is making an argument for Christians to stay single. You remember in Paul's writings, and we could culturally talk about all the details behind this. Paul thought the single life was the best choice for a Christian. Now listen to what he says. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Go to the next verse. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Any men want to say amen? All right, go to the next verse. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. Any women want to say amen? That didn't. Okay. But... A married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Look at the next verse. I say this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Paul's not anti-marriage. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Isn't that powerful? Paul is so serious about you and I living an undistracted life that he's even willing to say something so radical we don't even say it today despite the fact it's biblical is that it's a good choice for some people to pick a single life so they can be fully devoted to the Lord without the distractions of marriage. 
Wow. Now listen to me. If Paul is willing to make that argument about that subject, is there anything in our life that distracts us from God that ought to be off the table? It's amazing. So we see that. And Satan's ploy, my friend, is to get you distracted. Now I want to share with you a survey that our brother John Atchison took a a few months ago of our church. And I call this Landmark's Top 5 Distractions. Some of you are in John's Bible class that follows this hour, this amazing class, dealing with these distractions. But here are what he came up as, as the top five. Number five was money. Excuse me, I think we're, this, this is not right, is it, John? Okay, John, we've, correct, we've thought, we thought we had corrected the order. Let me give you the right order. This is wrong, so don't write this down, okay? Number five is actually worry, all right? Uh, and, and that makes sense. The word worry, biblically, simply means to be pulled apart. Almost the same word as the word to be drawn away with distractions. Number four is kids. And many of you mothers understand this. When you begin to have kids, your life and your schedule is totally changed. In a very good way and for a good cause, but change. Number three is work. Many of us, our minds are dominated and distracted from anything else important by our work. Some of us, it's it's distracted while we're at work. And and many of us, even when we get home from work, we say we, we take our work home with us. And it ends up being a distraction. Sometimes our family can't get our attention because we're, we're still at work. Number, number two is money. Now, I, I think honestly, if you look at kids and work and money, they're all tied to number five, which is worry. I think we're very distracted because we worry about those subjects. And it's interesting in John's survey that the most distracted people, he has a level, the most distracted groups in this church are in their 30s and 40s. And that's primarily where a lot of these things can become great distractions. And so um, number two is, is, is money. And many of us tonight or this morning would say, you know what? It's money that keeps me distracted often even from the Lord. Now here's the interesting though. Number one, correctly and incorrectly, and far above the others, is social media. Isn't that interesting? Now, as you look at this list, let me point a few things out. There is only one thing on here that we could say sinful. You might be tempted to say your children are sinful, but the only thing here that's really sinful is worry. That's the only thing the Bible says, this is a sin if you do it. So a lot of things on here are good, including social media. Social media was meant, and in some ways does, it makes our life better. I mean, you have all kinds of ways of communicating with people, whether by Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or a new thing called Periscope. I mean, our our, our smartphones have made our life in many ways so much easier. But here's the problem. They've, They've become an appendage to us. Very few of us spend any moment separated from our smartphone because it can do so much and provide such a source of information. Here's a survey of Americans and where they take and use their smartphones. Some of it will surprise you. Some of it. Uh, 32% of parents take it to their child's school functions. It can be diverted. 35% of us take our, our smartphones into the movie theater, despite the fact they always tell us to cut it off. of us take it out on dinner dates. 
And think about just the diversions that happens there when you're supposed to be focusing on somebody. 55% obviously in driving are diverted. 19%, they say, I know this couldn't be true here, bring their smartphones into church. You can go ahead and walk forward right now. Just start writing your card out. It'll be all right. This is funny. 12% of Americans confess to taking their smartphone into the shower. And a full 75% of us say we use our smartphone in the bathroom. Isn't that crazy? Now, we can get here and be sort of self-righteous and say, wow, look what the smartphone's done to our culture. Guys, it can be used for good or it can be used bad. If I were preaching this sermon 20 or 30 years ago, we wouldn't be talking about the smartphone, we'd be talking about the TV. And we'd be talking about how families don't, don't talk anymore, they just sit in front of a box and watch that. So it, it's not like this is something new, it's just something different. And yet, what does it do to relationships? I remember last spring, on a beautiful Friday night, Stephanie and I go into Bonefish Grill to eat. And uh, it, of course, you know, you always have to wait there. And so we're outside sitting there, and I just look across the crowd, and there are, you know, a dozen families and groups there. No one is speaking to anybody else. You notice that? They're, they're all right there on their phone. And guys, this goes into our family life. Look at a couple pictures with me just for a second. <laughs> I don't think that's that atypical. A family sitting around a table, everybody caught up in something on their phone, whether it's surfing the internet for information or chatting with someone or following someone on Instagram. And then here's a sad one I've literally heard confessed in this church. Here's a couple in bed with their backs to each other on their smartphones. I counseled a couple about two months ago, and we got down deep in different things that were going on, and this was one of the things they said. They were not hardly communicating with each other at all, because even in this moment, they're caught up in their cell phone. So you look at these five things, and again, whatever the order may be here, order may not be exactly right, you can put those up there. I ask you, which of these dominates in your life? Now let's talk about the danger here real quickly. We, we hear a lot and read a lot in the newspaper about the danger of distracted driving, and it, it certainly is. But, but what I want to present to you today is the danger of distracted living. And that's what most of us are facing. I know I am. And here's the danger. Let me put it up here in a sentence. Distractions draw us away from obeying the greatest commands. Jesus said once, here are the two top commands. It's your relationship with God and your relationship with people. It's loving God and loving people. And the real problem with distractions, my friends, is we're not good at loving well when we're busy and distracted. Have you noticed that? In your relationship with people, the worst moments happen when you're all so busy trying to get something going or you're distracted and you're not paying attention and you don't really hear what was said. And, and that's the danger here, guys. It's not that it may lead you into some terrible sin, even though we know there's that possibility. The, the danger here is that we're so distracted that we can't obey the two top commands in a good way. How about loving people? I mean, we, 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 we the most tension in our households are when we're not paying attention. We're distracted. 
Something I dearly miss. I think for in our marriage, some of the best time we ever spent together was in the car traveling a long distance. Because, I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, you left your house, you left your phone. You left work. I mean, you were in a car two or three hours with nothing to do but talk to each other and enjoy each other. And today, we can still be distracted by our phones. And here's the problem. This is where the superficial comes in our relationship, guys. Because listen to me, you can have 4,000 Facebook friends and you can have 1,000 followers on Twitter and not have one real friend who really knows you. And so it, it keeps us in this second chair of superficiality in our relationships. And certainly it keeps that with God. Because it's impossible to be close to God without devoted, quiet time with Him. Now, I'll confess to you this. Often when I have my quiet time, I'm very convicted by this, I've got my cell phone right beside me. Now why? Because I'm afraid I might miss out on something. Somebody might call me I really want to talk to. Someone might text me I need to respond to. Something might happen that I need to know about. Something may fly. And yet, look at what we're doing. We're afraid we're going to miss out on something. And the truth is, we are going to miss out on something. We're going to miss out on a great relationship with God. Because, listen, my friends, you can't build a great relationship with God when your mind's going in a thousand directions. I mean, if we were all to confess this morning, to, to really have an alone, quiet time with God, for most of us, is very, very difficult because we're used to the phone or the TV or interaction or something. But listen, you can't read the Bible and come out and think you can be close to God without devoted times of meditation and devoted times of reflection with Him. So that's going to bring me this morning to our answer. God's top answer to distracted living is what I call reflect. We started off a few weeks ago about talking about looking in the mirror. And we talked about this person in chair number two is the person, James says, who looks in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. Why do they forget it? Because they're distracted by something else. They've forgotten what they saw. But, but James says the person in his third chair is the person who continues to look in the mirror, not forgetting what he's looked like. He reflects. A few years ago as a church, we, we hired a man to come in and consult us. We, he said, we want you just to come look at our church. Tell us where we're weak. Tell us where we're strong. Tell us how we could improve. And, and he said a lot of good things. But the one thing that I remember from this, this is probably 10 years ago. As he said to me, he said, buddy, the biggest problem in our culture today, and even in our churches, is that we do not have any built-in time to reflect on how we're doing. Let me illustrate this. As a preacher, if I want to be a better preacher, then I can't just preach today. What I need to do is I need to spend some time this week reflecting on how today went. I need to do something I hate to do. I need to listen to the CD. I need to go, buddy, this is, I need to reflect on what happened, but Here's the honest truth is, man, I'm on to my next project and my next message. And so he said that about one thing about our, our small groups. He said, Here, here's, here's the deal is, if you want to train some really good small group leaders, 
to lead really good life groups, then here's what you've got to do. He said, you've got to, to build in some reflection time for them. Some time where they slow down enough to go, how's my small group going? What's not going so well? What could go better? What's my next step to improve my small group? And that's why we appointed a few years ago what we call our small group deacons. And their biggest job is just to keep our small group leaders encouraged. And every once in a while, building a time for them to reflect, for all of us to reflect on what we're doing. That's how you get better. Because that's why in our life group system, we ask you to go and discuss the message. Why? Because I don't care what goes on here this morning. By the time you get out there, your mind's distracted. Maybe you are very convicted like I am today about living a less distracted life. But the problem is you'll walk out of here and get distracted. And that's why we say we'd like you to go to a life group and talk about it. Now, I remember that man being with us. I took him to life group, and I thought it was just sort of a, a rather ordinary life group. I thought it was okay. And we got in the car afterwards. He said, buddy, did you notice what happened back there? I said, well, I thought it was good. He said, no, something really powerful happened there. It was actually Richard Stewart. It was you in our group that he mentioned. He said, did you notice in the middle of reflecting on that lesson that that man, and he pointed to me, I said, that was Richard Stewart. He said, he talked about how this lesson was in effect the way he would behave at work. He said, that's your goal. That's what you want. And guys, the reason many of us don't get there is because we don't have that time of reflection built into our life. Businessmen would say it's a time of withdrawal, that no matter how extroverted or introverted you are, if you're going to be best at what you do, you've got to get away from it for a while and contemplate it and meditate on it. Spiritually, the Bible would talk about the principle of Sabbath, that even God withdrew himself after six days of creation and left that as a pattern for us that at least one out of every seven days you would draw to reflect on God, to reflect on how you're doing. Because that's one of the purposes of your quiet time daily is to withdraw from all the other stimuli so you can only think about God. That's one of the purposes of us being here together today. And that's why you need to really try to get rid of every distraction you can, can in this assembly. Because this is that hour God gives us to stop, to slow down, to think about Him, and to reflect on how we need to change. Let me just give you a few things to reflect on. God's character. How awesome God is. God's blessings. One thing I do love about Facebook is, is something on Facebook called Facebook Time Hop. Where, where they'll say, a year ago today, or four years ago today, here's where you were and here's where you, what you were doing. It's like, remember, and, and you know what? It'll pop up there and I'll think, I forgot all about that family vacation. I mean, it's like it never happened until I saw it. And so a good thing I've found in my life at the end of every day as I'm trying to go to sleep is just to rehearse and reflect in my mind every good thing that's happened that day. We need to reflect on God's word. You've got to have that time. We need to reflect on God's commands. For instance, just like our, our, our message for the last couple of weeks about surrender. If you walk out of here and you don't, you don't reflect on what God has said about surrender, it won't happen. Not because you're a bad person, just... 
you're like most of us. You're just way too busy. So let me close this message with this question. What's distracting you? Because, my friends, that's the trap between this chair and that chair. That's the wall. I don't think many of us come here and go, you know what, I, my, really, my goal is to be superficially religious. To just sort of know God and sort of know the church and just nobody would say that. I don't believe any of us would say that. But there's this, this, this ditch, this wall in between that's so easy because it, 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 it doesn't even appear to be sinful is that I just get distracted. So can I ask you, what's distracting you? Let me confront a couple of lies about this. Lie number one is that you can do it all. You cannot. Lie number two, and this is the way we place it, we, we, we word it today, is that you can multitask. Oh, you know, I'm just good. I can multitask. I can have my quiet time. I can check my emails. I can have my phone there in front of me. Listen, everybody who's ever studied multitasking says it really is an impossible thing. We might fool ourselves to think we can, but it said if you're sitting at your desk... And, and, and for a moment, an email pops up, and you're working on one project, and you go over and read that email, that it will take you 62 seconds to get your mind back on what you were doing. And what studies say is there honestly is really no such thing as multitasking. And, and guys, yet we fool ourselves to believe we can do all these things at the same time. So what's diverting you? It may not be anything evil this morning, but what is holding you back? One man I respect a lot, John Orgberg, said we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. I think we might replace the word distractions. We must ruthlessly eliminate distractions. That doesn't mean they won't be there. That doesn't mean there's not even some good distractions where you do need to be distracted by what you're doing to go do something else. But what it does mean is we've got to put some boundaries up. Many of us need to cut our phones off for some evenings and spend it with our family and spend it with God. Cut our TVs off and be undistracted. My friends, if Paul is willing to put marriage on the table as something you might want to not do so that you can be fully engaged in God, am I going to be willing to put my petty things and say, I'm not going to consider that. So let me ask you, what do you need to consider? What do you need to consider saying no to so you can say yes? Who are you more like this morning? Martha, who is so worried and so distracted and so uptight about so many things, or Mary, who understood the most important thing, the only thing that would really last forever, was sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is our moment of reflection. This is convicting. The real question is, will we do something about it? Will you reflect on this? This morning we're, we're going to sing this song, and if this may be the place you need to put a, a marker down by coming before this church and, and confessing the distractiveness of your life, confessing that Jesus is not the center, confessing that, that he is just one of many instead of the only one. So you don't walk out of here 
without being prayed for and without you having to think about this. Let's stand and praise him. If you need to come, why don't you come right now?